<laughs> or here, and, and this is our Holy Rose podcast. And so also, we've come up with other names that have come out of our group. It's mm-hmm. sponsored by the Ministerial Services Operational Team. And the other name they came up with today was? The Robin Rachel Show. Yeah. <laughs> Which we think are just going to turn into silly B-roll. We'll see if that happens. What everyone needs to know is that Rob is is really running this thing, okay? And I'm just your trusty sidekick. That's that's what's going on. Um, and I'm really excited because this. some people might not know that Matt Kimmons used to serve with us on the operational team of the Board of Ordained Ministry, worked for several years just doing incredible work as the secretary and keeping us all in line and missed you terribly on the team, friend. Um, but this was a, a dream that he had, uh, this whole podcast. Um, but And we thought sort of at the end of last year, it was like dead in the water. Uh, and so I'm really grateful that Rob came on the team and together we've been able to kind of pick up that. But this is this is your work and we're just kind of running with it now. And so we're excited to interview you, uh, kind of premiere you on the <laughs> podcast because it was your baby to begin with. <laughs> oh, stop it. I'm just excited to be here with you both, both <clears throat> Rob and Rachel. You, you guys are just such phenomenal leaders and it's just a joy to work with you in the annual conference. So thanks for having me today. Oh, yeah. It means a lot. Yeah. All right. So we know that you are... Currently employed at the Children's Home, right? That's correct. Kentucky United Methodist Children's Home. And your title officially is the Chief Strategic Officer. That sounds fancy. It's fun. Is there an assistant to the Chief Strategic Officer? (laughs) Are you you looking for a role at the Children's Home? Always. (laughs) Okay, okay, we'll we'll have to talk. We'll have to talk about that. (laughs) So tell me, uh, what, what do you actually do? Yeah, I get this question pretty frequently. Um, My role is honestly just such a fun and amazing role uh, for the children's home. So what I get to do is I get to essentially um, work with our president, CEO, all of our vice presidents at the children's home, as well as our board, to help us with, uh, honestly, strategic planning, making sure that we're looking to the future and planning and positioning ourselves well as an agency. You know, the landscape for child welfare is just very difficult in the state of Kentucky. The state of Kentucky still ranks as one of the very worst states for child uh, abuse and neglect. Mm. So, you know, part of my task, you know, I work here in uh, our Nicholasville campus, which is very close to Wilmore. We also have a campus in Owensboro that I'm at every single week, as well as uh, independent living complexes in Lexington, and our staff are spread all across the state. So part of my role is to help make sure that operations go smoothly across all these different programs and to make sure that we're staying aligned with our mission and with our values. So that's kind of a sweeping explanation of what the chief strategic officer does. Yeah. It sounds like a really big deal. Sounds like you're a really big deal, Kimmins. Uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> you're a big deal. What, 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 what it means is there's a lot of uh, messes to clean up some days. <laughs> and, and at the end of it all, you know, uh, the thing that I love most is every single day I get to interact with some amazing people. Mm. Uh, we have some phenomenal staff, you know, between our full-time, part-time, and contract workers. We have over 150 staff wow. at the Kentucky United Methodist Children's Homes. And every single day is an adventure. You know, we're helping kids and families get the resources and support they need to be healthy. Mm. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. That is what it's all about. Yeah. So now how long have you been in this role? Oh, so uh, this is my second year. Second. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Just over a year. What has surprised you the most oh. about working at the children's home? Yeah. So uh, being an elder uh, appointed to the children's home, it's an amazing intersection of my calling as an elder. Um, it's a, a tremendous opportunity to kind of blend 
great theology in a practical way, but also some of my passions toward just strategy and systems and organizational health. Um, every single day, for example, uh, you know, I may spend part of the day trying to renegotiate a contract with the Department of Juvenile Justice or uh, with some of our state partners, and then spend the afternoon coaching some of our supervisors and how to be a great leader or, or what they need to do to get some better outcomes. So for me, it's an absolute joy, and it's a surprise every single day I show up. It's the mission that drives us, but every day is something new. So that yeah. I, I'm continually surprised every time I show up to work. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever envision yourself moving into this kind of role? I mean, because this is so different than the local church pastor, right? That... Yeah. Uh, n- no. Um, <laughs> you know, that was uh, that was not exactly the plan mm. uh, overall. What I and this is something that we talked about in the Board of Ordained Ministry frequently, especially with candidates and and with our teams, is to understand our calling as this dynamic unfolding, mm. this dynamic revealing of who we're becoming. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I love we, that. You could print that on a poster and I, I would buy it, you know? <laughs> I'm telling you, every time yeah. I talk with Matt Kimmons, there's at least five things he says where I want to write down and quote and keep forever. Stop. And like, that is the first one. Okay. <laughs> put yeah. it on a motivational okay, poster and put it in my office. <laughs> this yeah. dynamic unfolding you're, you're of who me. you are becoming. I'm not even trying to puff you up right now. You're killing me. I'm, I love it. I love it. And your wisdom. Okay, oh, continue. Geez. This yeah. dynamic unfolding. That's oh, where you were. <laughs> yeah, this is getting thick up in here. <laughs> it's getting deep, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, you know, for, for me, um, you know, just prayerfully thinking through my calling, um, and then, you know, some of the, the great opportunities that I've also been given to further my education and do some research, I uh, spent several years, uh, researching and assessing clergy and leaders and their emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so to have the opportunity to kind of leverage both uh, that pastoral calling, so I get to do some, a lot of spiritual life, uh, for the United Methodist Children's Homes as well. To leverage that with systems and helping the organization get healthy, it's just, it's this perfect kind of convergence for me in terms of calling. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of yeah. fun. I love that. I love how you're talking about the, I mean, I think this dynamic unfolding of this idea that you're, you're called to ministry can change and adapt over time. That's something that we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. And it, sometimes it feels like as elders, we're not allowed to talk about because that means that you kind of click out of the system, right? Like... I don't know. We, we're kind of in the system and you feel like this is, this is it. This is the way that it is. And we might not, I don't know. I had a mentor say recently, but the, the spirit blows where the spirit will, right. And this idea that it's, it's okay to change over time. Right. And if you feel called to something that doesn't mean that your vocational call or this kind of this call that you feel in your life hasn't changed, you know, that it's okay if it does change. Right. Right. You know, the way the way you live out your calling is uniquely you. So I, I think one of the strengths of our system as United Methodists, can all, every strength casts a shadow. So, you know, whatever your personal strengths are, it's always important to be aware of what shadows those strengths cast in your relationships and leadership and whatnot. But one of the shadows uh, that's created in our system is related to the concept of calling. So when you think about an, an elder's role, let's just kind of zero in on that for a minute. I can make a really strong argument that every single pastor, regardless of setting, always needs to be adapting and changing and growing in their understanding of their personal calling, simply because every appointment and every congregation needs us to grow along with the people we serve. Sure. So that means I need to at least operate with enough Mm self-awareness and enough kind of awareness of other people 
to say, okay, so I, I showed up here, I have a certain gift or certain skill set, a, a certain things that I'm comfortable doing, but now in this setting, in order for me to help lead better or to bring a healthier outcome, I've got to change. Yeah. Like I've got to grow, I've got to adapt my understanding of what it means to be a pastor so that we can move forward together. Yeah. Um, Is there someone that comes to your mind that encouraged you in that journey? Because I'm curious about that, because, you know, it, yeah. there's almost this permission giving that has to go along with our callings, and, yeah. and sometimes we cannot realize, hey, my the core of who I am stays the same, but the, maybe that way that I show that beauty and justice and into the world can change from time to time. But I, if you're anything like me, and, and I may be projecting this on you, um, I need people to give me permission to do that. Right? Is there somebody that did that for you, or a group of people, or what did that look like? Yeah, you know, I've I've had some great some great mentors and people in my life over the years, which I think have made a huge difference. Because um, sometimes we need that little bit of encouragement uh, to help us kind of explore new things or explore new expressions of our calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we get to that place because things just fall apart, and we realize that our toolbox no longer works to fix the problems that we're trying to fix which can be a, a really painful place sometimes, but it can be every, every breakthrough usually begins with a breakdown of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we finally realize that, okay, what I learned in school isn't working here, or what other people's advice, what they gave me, it no longer fits with who I am. So once we get to that place of realizing there's a disconnect, then the voices we listen to really do matter. Yeah. You know, who are those folks yeah. that um, we're allowing to have access to our hearts and minds? You know, um, and we know in our system, there are some clergy that have been around long enough that uh, they're a bit salty. <laughs> you know like, what? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna throw shade sure, in the podcast, sure, sure. but yeah, yeah. like we know that it's easy to get jaded after a while. Yeah. I mean, yeah. y'all. I mean, and we, how could you not? In some experiences, right? In exactly. some places, in some. Each each person is so different the way that we walk this call together, right? That it, you almost okay. I can see where that is coming from, and how could you not, right? So right. there is some almost permission to give them to be like, hey, sometimes it just sucks, right? Yeah. And we got to do something with this suckness. That's a very theological word, yeah, um, yeah. you know. But I think we have to process that. Yeah, I mean, everybody kind of processes the messiness of ministry in their own way. I, I think this is once again just from an emotional intelligence and a spiritual health standpoint. Um, prioritizing self-awareness really is key because everybody processes differently. So for one person who's going to need to verbally process the mess and just the ick that they're going through, for someone else, that feels like just wallowing in the mud. Like, Why are we still talking about this? Let's do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that, that might be valid and very true for you and your experience and what you need emotionally. But for this other person, that may be a part of their journey that we don't need a shortcut. Mm. Like, there's no shortcuts through the Valley of Shadows. Everybody wants the quick exit. Write that one down, I know, Rachel. Second one. Write no one, that one down. Through the Valley of Shadow. I'm telling you, <laughs> you listen long enough, you're going to get some wisdom from Papa. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was good. Man, throw it. Sh- I know I'm the, I'm the old dude around you the table are. right now. It's because Kimmons realized right before we began that Rob and I still qualify as young clergy. Barely, but Just we do. barely. We're holding hey, on hey, for a few more months. It's all good. My kids remind me of how much gray hair I have now, so I take it in yeah, stride. But listen, it's all good. You men get to look more esteemed with your gray hair. Meanwhile. Mm, esteemed. Distinguished. Esteemed, distinguished. Oh, like meanwhile. Yeah. yeah. By the time I get enough authority that people take me seriously, I'll have gray hair and then I'll be like a has-been. Right? Oh, stop. That's what happens. Oh. I have like three years of prime. Just wait. 
Have you not heard this? No. Okay, we're going to not. I don't believe it, though. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, I want to go back to some of this, le- <laughs> this <laughs> leadership. It's true. That was, that was fun, though. It's um, true. That's kind another of the, episode. <laughs> aging time. well. No, women. No. Women <laughs> in ministry, the experience of women. Okay. Okay. That's good. No, yeah. no we definitely should do that. Just, I don't co- want to discount that. I'll co-host that with Molly. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a whole like series of episodes right there. So that's going to so. be something else not here. That's right. So, uh, but, but I think you're going, let's get back to the self-awareness piece, right? Because uh, one of the questions we want to ask you is how have your perception of leadership changed in the last two years, right? So the ways that you have served at this very unique position at the United Methodist Children's Home, I would hope that your idea of leadership has, has molded. I mean, it may, you maybe didn't throw everything out, right? But what has kind of popped up for you? Is it self-awareness? What other characteristics would you say, hey, leaders really need to, to, to play into this or to gather or to work on, um, to resource themselves in this aspect of leadership? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge question. Um, yeah, I do think it does come back to a lot of self-awareness. I think one mm-hmm. of the things that um, I've seen and experienced it just for myself over the last two years is like making the shift out of crisis leadership into stabilizing leadership so that growth can happen yeah. does not happen by accident. Mm-hmm. I was having a great conversation with a clergy friend just a couple of weeks ago, and my question to him was very simple. It's, have you processed the difference between crisis leadership as a pastor and stabilizing leadership as a pastor. Because leadership in crisis is very directive-based. We must do this, that, this, that. It's, it's like if the building's on fire, we're not taking a vote. I'm going to grab you. I'm going to throw yeah. you out the door to save your life. That's a great kind of visual illustration of crisis leadership. The problem is if we continue to function that way after the crisis is starting to resolve. Then people mm. are just going to fight back. They're going to resist. There's going to be all kinds of hurt feelings and broken relationships because we're not transitioning our leadership into the next season. So one of the things that I've been really thinking about and trying to process myself is how do I make sure that I'm transitioning my own leadership approach even while I'm serving and working with folks who may still be in crisis mode? So they're wanting or expecting me to give an answer, to give the solution, to tell tell us what's going to happen next, save us, pastor, do this, right? And what they're doing is they're inviting me into crisis mode. But we know that crisis mode is only an effective version of leadership when there's a crisis. How do you know when you're out of the crisis? Yeah, that's a great question. I think part of it is, once again, the self-awareness of a leader to be able to not only recognize the internal context, like we've got to have enough healthy relationships and boundaries within our ministry context mm. to understand if if our church, if our congregation is still in crisis versus is the community around our congregation in crisis? The Louisville metro area is a great example of this. It's like even if you're uh, in that area and your congregation feels pretty stable or moving out of crisis, there are certain spots inside uh you know, Louisville, Jefferson County, that are in deep crisis and have sure. been for a long time. So how am I recognizing the signs inside the congregation and in the community in broader context to know how to lead well? Mm-hmm. But the only way to do that is to have healthy relationships because that's the only way we can actually know what's going on. Um, with good yeah. boundaries, right? we got to have some good boundaries there. Um, how do we cultivate those relationships? Because I think that... I think it matters who you're in relationship with, especially those who you want to receive that quality feedback from, 
and to help you discern, you know, am I in crisis? Am I not in crisis? Because I think sometimes I just need somebody to throw stuff at and say, hey, help me to think through this for a second. So how do we find those folks that we can um, trust to be in that kind of safe, even psychological space to have that question? Yeah. And I, <laughs> there's, there's no one simple answer to this. Sure. Uh, the question that I'll, I'll raise kind of in response to the question mm-hmm. is, um, are we really clear on what emotional needs we're trying to get met by the congregations we serve? Oh. Like, are we, are we really clear on what emotional need I'm trying to get met by these individuals? So I encourage, like, every clergy person, every leader, like, not like, I know it's kind of cliche to say, but like, you know, spiritual director, you know, mentor, definitely a therapist, you know, someone who is very trustworthy and a professional. Um, if you are serving in any kind of leadership capacity, if you're pastoring a church, you are a professional. Mm-hmm. You are. You're called and you're also a professional in your field, in your area. That means as a professional, you need to prioritize your own health and mm-hmm. wellness and well-being, right? If we're trying to process all of these things with the people we're serving with and alongside in a congregation, we're trying to get a set of emotional needs met by people in a very inappropriate way. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we see a lot of yeah. uh, colleagues, and, and I'll just say from personally, we can get sucked into that, right? Because we do feel like I can contribute this way, or I'm going to receive feedback in this way, and it's not healthy, right? And we can catch ourselves in that moment saying, this is probably not appropriate. <laughs> Personal, right? Like, mea culpa moment, right? Yeah. So, you know, having assessed a lot of, you know, one of the, one of the breakdown moments for me where I finally realized, like, I need to get some mentoring, some help. Like, I, like my toolkit is not working for yeah. me. So I was pastoring in a setting, and everything fell apart. Like, like everything that could fall apart started falling apart. And I'm looking around going, but I'm trying. Mm. Like, I'm trying hard. I'm doing everything I was told to do, and it's not working. And then to come face-to-face with my own emotional intelligence and what many of us as clergy leaders struggle with, which is lower independence, which really leads to people-pleasing tendencies. Yeah. So as long as folks are happy with us, as long as we're making people happy, uh, <laughs> and congregations are pretty good at this, okay? And you'll hear some of this language. Oh, Pastor, that was such a great sermon. You really fed my soul today. You, yeah. We even use that kind of language as though it's your role as the clergy person to make sure that everybody gets fed. Mm-hmm. Well, friends, you are not the spiritual golden corral of your congregation. <laughs> like you, people are Write not... Like, Write it down. Like, Write that down. It is, yeah. it is not your role on Sunday morning to fling open the doors, turn on the neon sign, and let folks scoop stuff off the buffet of your soul, and then they come back again next Sunday because they're hungry again. Like, once again, all that we're doing is we're trying to get our own painful helper needs, that, that people-pleasing. Mm-hmm. If I feel my need to be needed... So, you know, to come face-to-face with that, I think, is, is really key. That's, that's one of the things that I continue to, to face down in my own leadership. Um, but it's, I think it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for clergy leaders to have open and honest conversations with each other, about, yeah. especially in this season as United Methodist Pastors, y'all. Yeah. Like, like, we've been through a lot of stuff. And while we are moving forward the question lingers as to how do we move forward in a different, healthier way? Well, and how do we know when we're out of the crisis? Like, I feel mm-hmm. like that's the question of like, yeah, I, I mean, like we collectively now, right? How do we know when 
you know, and that awareness, I think, is so key. Open and honest conversation among our clergy colleagues and our, you know, leadership on all levels, right, of, of processing, not necessarily trauma and grief and healing to move on, but I mean, like, the current moment and and kind of collaborating for the future. I, mm. I, I wanted to ask a follow-up question. Are you saying uh, we should have zero of our emotional needs met by our congregation or to be aware of how? Does that make sense? Yeah, you've got to be aware of how. Okay. Because there's this kind of collaborative relationship that's developed for us as spiritual leaders in the context that we serve. So serving and ministering is a very fulfilling thing. Yeah. Like, like there's spiritual and emotional and relational fulfillment in that. The question that, that lingers is appropriate. It, yeah. it is yeah. as, right. As long, it's community. Yeah. As long as it doesn't cross boundaries, mm-hmm. like that's a really big thing. Like as long as I'm really clear on what emotional needs I'm getting met in this relationship, yeah, that's key. Yeah, the blind spots can and will eat us for lunch. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to be aware of, okay, am I am I engaging in this way or this kind of approach to ministry because I need to feel needed? Hmm. Or am I living out my calling in this way and I know when to say when? Yeah, yeah. I feel like for me in terms of boundaries, it was so much easier for me to be self-aware and maybe to have healthy boundaries before I was a parent than now on this side of it. Like I feel like there's a level of like um, camaraderie and understanding and we're in this together because I have a church, I I serve a church with a lot of young families. And I think that's a, a, a benefit of having a young clergy person with young kids of like, I can lead a mom's group or I can, you know, and we get it, but I'm learning um, that the the setting of boundaries and maintaining of boundaries is harder in this context than it was before. And mm. I think there's something about that, that parenting, that shared aspect of parenting. I'm also like, I need more help now than I used to. And that's hard for me to admit. Like my husband was out of town last weekend and I, for the first time ever, I had to get up and get both boys ready and to church early and get myself ready for the service. Those, that hour and a half where I'm usually by myself at church, I had both my kids in tow. Mm -hmm. And so the, but the church that came around me and they entertained the boys or fed them something or, you know, and, and, and I mean, I'm not saying that's an inappropriate example. I've just noticed that I've, there's more of a, a dependence now of like, okay, you know, I've baptized my kids in this church, so y'all are going to help me raise them. You promised. You, know? you promised. <laughs> that's right. And that's great, but it's like I don't think my kids necessarily realize yet that, like, they're they're not different than any other kid. And yet mm. there's this boundaries. I don't know. It's just... But I, I think it's a great example, though, because a part of the conversation is just taking the time up front to be clear on what the expectations are. You know, I was talking to a group of our staff just a few weeks ago Um trying to coach them through a, kind of a difficult conflict. And my go-to phrase is the time to figure out how to deal with conflict is not when you're in the conflict. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like we need to figure that out before. Like, like we need to, s- it's like if you own a farm, like one of the first things that we're going to do is we're going to walk the property line and check all the fences because we want to keep the things we want in, inside the fences, keep the things we want outside, outside the fences. But if I've got broken fences or things that need fixed, I'm going to fix those before I put anything good inside my fences. Mm. But too often what we do is we're so busy, we're moving through just the rhythm of life and ministry. (laughs) We don't have time to walk the fences, right? To structure time in our lives to say, okay, I just need to take some time and walk the fences in my own emotional and spiritual and physical health for today. Where are those places where I feel like I'm compromising my fences and my boundaries emotionally? 
like I'm getting some kind of emotional need met by a congregation member that, you know what, that's probably not appropriate. I need mm-hmm. to, I need to back off there. There needs to be an extra kind of system in place, be it, you know, a conversation or an extra boundary there so that that doesn't turn into something that could be a bigger problem. They're the same thing spiritually. Like it's easy to get in the rhythm of, well, I, I missed my devotion time today or, uh, you know, Sermon prep is going to have to count for Bible study for me this week, right? So, mm-hmm. like, it's easy to get there, but that's kind of a broken down fence. So mm-hmm. we got to see the fence for what it is and then start figuring out the right way to mend it so that yeah. we, we have what we need. Yeah. I'm going to start using that phrase, walking the fences. Mm-hmm. And I like another that. thing to write down. We're on number four, at least. <laughs> another thing up. to write down. Put it in the show notes. Put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I was wondering if you'd be willing to share what it was like discerning or stepping away from the local church and or what do you miss about serving in the local church? Yeah, that was, um, it was really difficult. I spent more than a decade uh, in the pulpit, so preaching every single Sunday. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a rhythm to that. There is a comfort to that for me. Uh, So even the process, I mean, there's an identity that's wrapped Mm -hmm. into that as well. Not just for me, but for my family too. You know, mm-hmm. My wife's been, you know, pastor's wife for more than a decade. My kids, you know, growing up in the church as PKs, you know, that comes with its own stuff. So stepping out of that system, I, I guess the best way to describe it for me, everyone's different, um, but it took time for me to to appropriately grieve that transition. I mean, there, there's excitement. Like what I get to do is amazing right now. It's a lot of fun and it's exciting every day. But every transition needs a grieving because uh, people don't resist change. They resist loss. Hmm. Like, like we, we try to manage change, but the reality is when people push back, they're not pushing back because you want to change something. They're pushing back because they feel like they're going to lose something. And I know for me personally that if, if I don't take time to acknowledge what I feel like I might be losing or what might be going away, then it's very possible for me to resist maybe some really good things that are on the horizon because I'm, I'm not letting go and transitioning the way I need to. Um, so uh, that was a multiple month process mm. for me. And sometimes I still process it. I get to travel <laughs> and speak uh, at a lot of churches and preach on Sunday mornings, which is a lot of fun, but it's different. Yeah, It's not like being embedded as the pastor inside Christian community. Yeah, you don't know the people as well that you're no. preaching to. No. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think that's probably the the biggest um, challenge and opportunity at the same time. Um, There's a danger in equating what we do with who we are. And I think that's a lifelong struggle for all of us who say yes to the calling of ministry, but it's not unique to us either. You know, I meet a lot of folks who are Mm -hmm. doctors or lawyers or educators or folks in a variety of fields it's easy for what we do to define us to such an extent that when we stop doing it, we feel lost or adrift. So it has to be something deeper than just the function of ministry that defines us. So that's, I think that's been a big part of my process. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, thank you. We, we, I think we all know so many folks who have made that transition, right? And, and, and the, the, if you look at the data, right, there's going to be so much, so many more, right? Particularly around, Folks our age, right? I'll, I'll close you in this with the oh. papa or whatever called you. The people, Thank you so much. Papa, <laughs> the people who still have time to have a second career, <laughs> right? That's awesome. <laughs> but I, it's, it's really, that's on the horizon, if not already here, right? Yeah. So uh, 
what word of hope would you bring? I, I want to ask this question multifaceted, if that's okay. But what hope would you, encouragement you want to bring to people who are not, I want to say still in the trenches, because I don't want to demean any of those who have, they their calling just looks different and that's a okay, right? Yeah. That's, and that's a good thing. I think we need to continue to embrace who we are now. And, and, and also I try to break it down in seasons, right? This is right. what I'm called to do in this season. Right. I'm always called to be this kind of person, but this could... This is what it looks like professionally, yeah. too, for me. And also, what does the world need to see from the church? I yes. think it's leaders that do that and leaders that can still live out their call in different in different fields and yes. different areas. And the mission of the children's home is still a part of the church that Rob and I serve, right? That's like, right. it's that kind of partnership. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your question. It's an extension. But, no, yeah, no, no, no. I think yeah, it's absolutely the, right. The world needs to see that. So for both, because kind of the small print of our podcast is both the the Rachel and Rob show is part of that. And then <laughs> the other one is, you know, encouragement for pastors who want to give up on a Monday morning, mm-hmm. right? Who just want to throw in the towel. Um, so what would you say to people who who are still in that, that pulpit every Sunday morning, who are still with their people every single day throughout this, in that kind of pastoral local church ministry? Um, I want to ask you what encouragement you bring to them, and then if if that's any different to those who have stepped away or who are discerning to step away from that, to take on a different kind of look on life. Sure, sure. I think there's going to be overlap on this one. Yeah. Uh, you know, for our for our clergy who are in the pulpit every single week and in the trenches, you know, the the main bit of encouragement that I think we all need to hear is just to simply embrace all those emotions when they come. Mm. You know, we have to stop with the self-shame. Like, it it is okay if on a Monday morning you wake up and say, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) I'd rather go work at Walmart or whatever it is for you that seems like an escape. Like, instead of feeling shame or, oh my goodness, I shouldn't think this way or, you know, a good pastor wouldn't feel like this on Monday morning. Stop with this self-shame and just simply sit with that for a minute. And let's just sit with it and say, what is this feeling trying to teach me right now? Mm. What is this trying to teach me? Because it could be that I've been running for so long, I don't even realize that half of the fences are broken. So now there are no boundaries. So I'm running like crazy and exhausted. So then the first Mm. time I take a breath, exhaustion feels like, I just need to escape this because I'm so exhausted. The only way to get relief is to escape. Yeah. So the same, the same advice or encouragement that I, I, I give to folks, whether it's in the congregation or in another expression of ministry, is no matter what we do, don't just run from something. Make sure we're running toward where we want to be. Yeah, tell me more about that. That's good. That's good. I like that. A lot of times when we're in a difficult place or a painful spot or at exhaustion or we're dealing with just really tough stuff in the local church or any any expression of ministry, the gut human emotion is like fight or flight, right? And when we feel like we can't fight and we don't want to freeze up, we just want to get out. We want to get away from that painful thing, from that difficult place. And often what I'll notice is that folks will just start this pattern of running, even if it's not physically running, like requesting an appointment move, you can still run while being physically present. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. Like you just disconnect and you're no longer as present, no longer mm-hmm. as vulnerable, no longer as open, no longer as willing to connect with folks. Self-preservation mode. Mm-hmm. Bingo. 
So like in those moments to just be honest and say, what is it I'm trying to run away from? Because I don't want to spend my life running from things. I want to run towards what God is calling me to run toward. And sometimes it means that we're in difficult appointments that aren't very healthy. Okay. If that's where you're at today, then let's reshape our expectations of what you can expect in your experience in that appointment. That appointment is not going to be rainbows, butterflies, unicorns, everybody singing kumbaya and saying, yay, pastor. Let's change our expectations so that our emotions don't get wrapped up in some unhealthy projection that's not reality. That's right. So let's stop trying to run from things and start prioritizing running toward health. And that's, that's the other thing, is no matter what context we're in, we'll only bring health if we are healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's, it's that simple, but it's also that difficult. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't expect to bring health into the relationships or the programs at the children's homes if I'm not prioritizing my own health at the same time, my emotional health, spiritual health, physical health. Um, it's really important. It is. When we show up, this is, and I tell all of our new hires this and all of our supervisors, my only hope and my only prayer for anyone who comes to embrace the mission and the joy of working at the children's home is this. Whether you're with us for a few months or for the rest of your life, by being with us, you'll be the healthiest, best version of you by the time it comes for you to transition into something else. That's my only hope and prayer. I want you to be the healthiest, best version of you. Uh, and I feel like that's true for all of us, no matter what our ministry setting is. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, me too. That's good. Write that's a down. good prayer. Yeah. Write it down. <laughs> it hey. is a good prayer. <laughs> yeah. This has been such a, a fun conversation, and I, I so appreciate you sitting down with us. Um, and, and, and it has been such a delight to to see this kind of what you... I hope this podcast for our side is a kind of a launch point from your dream, right, that you had, and and this has been so much fun for us. And one of the things that we added, I don't know if this was on your original plan or not, (laughs) um, was a part that we're really calling the holy roast. And so this is the part where we're going to roast you for a little bit. You're a leader in the hot seat, and we're going to ask you a series of questions. They're fun. We don't want you to really think about it. We just wanted to shoot it off. And of course, we stole this from other podcasts, but we're going to claim it as our own. I think it was Brene Brown. I'm pretty sure. That's okay. Brene Brown can also sponsor us. Contact us, Brene. Bring it on. Hey, I'm ready to be roasted. That's so right. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'll ask you a series of questions, and, and first one that comes up, we'll let you know. All yeah. right, what are you reading right now? Ooh, Leadership on the Line. Leadership on the Line. Who Ron, wrote that? Ron Heifetz. That's right. Great book, great book. What keeps you alive right now? Ooh, time with my kids. Mm-hmm. Playing. Playtime when I don't have to uh, do anything but just have fun with my kids. Love that. Listening Love. to Taylor Swift with your kids? Yeah. Yeah. Jamming out to Taylor Swift <laughs> on the on the car rides to school? Oh, yeah. Love it. I wish we we listened too much uh, kids songs. Truck Wheels on tunes. the bus. Does she have a version of Wheels on the bus? No. It could make it bearable. All right, <laughs> five things that are on your nightstand right now. Ooh, uh, uh, a bottle of water. Mm. Uh, my watch collection. Collection. Yeah, yeah. I got into I got into watches. I just love it. It's just a, I don't know. It's a weird quirk, I guess. Um, my phone charger. Uh, a audio monitor because I have a four year old and. Uh, Unmonitored yeah. four-year-olds can cause havoc. Yeah. yeah. I lost count. How many is that? I think four. that's four. Yeah. So the fifth. Thing? I don't know. It depends how many watches you got on that, you know, collection <laughs> or not. But we'll <laughs> check that as one. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. So that's one. Uh, what's the, what else is on? That's pretty. That's almost it. That's it? Yeah. Like my nightstand's pretty uncluttered. 
That would be a pretty full to... nightstand, depending on how you know big it is. You know, I mean, like you got all those watches that take off. You <laughs> it's know, there's just a couple of them. It's not, it's not that many. We might it's need to lower many. that number because no one's been able to name five. Yeah. <laughs> I, hey, I got to four. I don't know. Really you're a pretty good. messy human being. You could have five things on there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, well, what's your favorite way to unwind after a long day? Ooh, uh, probably TikToks. Mm. What? Yeah. Did not expect that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good life Mindless field. TikTok scrolling. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a like a theme? What's your algor- algorithm look like on your TikTok feed? It is bizarre. Like it goes anywhere from like dogs and cats to like music artists to like epic fails. Mm. Like, like <laughs> it's so bizarre. So if like any TikTok execs are watching, I'd love to know what you're doing with that algorithm because it's weird. Is a person just programming back? Oh gosh, this guy's yeah. But yeah. Okay. So picture with me, you're up the bat and you have your walk-up song what would that walk-up song be playing for you <laughs> oh okay this one i have to take a second to think about right. <laughs> we'll give you a little bit because like no joke like my playlist is like absolutely crazy it's it's a whole bunch of different stuff um ooh, i'm gonna go with uh u2 with streets of no name Ooh. You want to like sing a little it. bit part for Absolutely not. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you for yes. being with us. And and, and uh, I think it's been a, hopefully a good conversation, not mm-hmm. only for fellow clergy leaders here in the Kentucky Conference, but for those all across, right, that have made their way for a, a strange TikTok algorithm brought you here to this podcast. We are glad you're here. Um, and so thank you so much for sitting yeah. down with hey, us. Thanks, thanks for having Kevin's. me. Thanks. Yep.